Welcome to Pontifex. I'm Fry. And I'm Brie, ranking all of the popes from Peter to Francis. And this is episode 73, Pope Severinus. What's he severing? Well, Enus. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps severing some Enus. There is going to be some level of severing in this episode. So there you go. Severinus was born in Rome. And according to the Liber Pontificalis, his father was called Avianus, which some historians like John Martindale thinks means that he was probably a descendant of a previous Roman senator and consul, also called Avianus. But I have to tell you that the Liber Pontificalis version that I have calls him Labianus. Yeah, that's a that's a combination that you you don't want. No, that is not a combination that you want. That is a, something's gone horribly wrong. A cloaca. So we are severing some anuses, and we've got some labby anuses. I'm so sorry, listeners. We just spent like 20 minutes talking about the circle before recording. We're not in a good headspace. And what I'm going to bring up next is definitely not going to make that any better. Because you were just mentioning cloacas. I had to watch that really bad Will Smith movie where he's a spy that gets turned into a pigeon. (laughs) And there's a whole bit about the cloaca. That's a children's film. What's happening? And at one point, Tom Holland's character actually has to say, I'm sorry for the cloaca. (laughs) That movie was so bad. But there were definitely some moments where I went, what is happening? (laughs) Why? Spies in disguise. That's what it's called. Oh, boy. Boy, if you want an absolute mental trip, if you have some children, just put that movie on for them and watch it with them. There's also a point where, spoilers if you want to watch this movie, but um, Will Smith Pigeon turns out to be a girl. What? Yeah. And um, like, surprise lays an egg, and it's, there's a lot there. But anyways. There's too much to unpack. We need to throw away the whole suitcase. Yeah, exactly. But um, I'm sorry for the cloaca popped into my head. So. No, the kids have been watching, I don't know, it's called Pinky Malinky. And like these normal people just have a son who is a sausage. What is happening with children's programming? I don't understand. And like that, that one's a little weird to watch. We have diverted. We have diverted. So anyway, coming back to it, uh, we can hazard that Severinus came from a well-off family that enjoyed at least some politically elite status. The Liber Pontificalis also describes Severinus as kind and generous and mild, which is ironic since his name literally means the severe one. And funnily enough, I think he's going to kind of live up to both, so... But this is pretty much all we have on his early life, and we don't know exactly what position he held in the church before his election. But what we do know is that Severinus was very old when he was elected to be pope, and that his election happened three days after the death of Honorius. And it was a fairly cut-and-dry election, and when the Roman clergy came to the decision, they do what they do. They send the papal apocrisary to Constantinople right away to get the approval of the emperor. 
But before we get on with what happens there, we need to come back to something we mentioned in last week's episode. And that's fine, because we have to wait for that letter to get all the way to Constantinople and come all the way back anyways. We mentioned that shortly after Honorius had died, Sergius, the bishop of Constantinople, had published an ecthesis, which was a exposition or declaration of faith, that confirmed the monothelite viewpoint that Christ had two natures but possessed a single will and compelled the rest of the church and the Byzantine Empire to confirm their adherence to this idea. And the ecthesis was then sent to the patriarchs in the East as an edict from Emperor Heraclius. And for the most part at this moment, the East was in agreement. And Heraclius was pleased. Perhaps he'd finally be able to reconcile the whole of the church on one Christological theology. That would be nice. They're still fighting about this stuff, so. So when the papal legates arrive in Constantinople to inform the emperor about the results of the papal election and the fact that there is now a new pope, Heraclius was pleased to confirm their choice. If the new pope would just be so kind as to sign his confirmation to the ecthesis. Oh, this sounds like it's going to go bad. It's going to go bad. Severinus was not Honorius, and when he was asked slash commanded to sign the ecthesis, he refused, and he took a very strong stance against monothelitism. Despite Honorius's gag order on talking about monoenergism and monothelitism, it seems that members of the Western Church had been educating and debating, and there was no way that now that vague terminology that Honorius had agreed to was going to fly now. There was definitely a different understanding of two wills being two wills and not just this reference to a conflicting will, right? They get what the monothelites are trying to put down. But when it became evident that the Pope is not going to confirm the ecthesis, Heraclius, the emperor, is less than pleased and decided, fine, no signature, no Pope. And so he just refuses to accept Severinus as the new Pope. So the legates remain in Rome, hoping to be able to persuade the emperor to change his mind. But history shows us how well that usually goes which is not well at all. So Heraclius was determined to withhold his confirmation as long as the Pope withheld his confirmation of the ecthesis. But the emperor, he had an upper hand in this. He had an advantage that Severinus absolutely does not have in the form of military might and the exarch of Ravenna, Isaac. Heraclius sent orders to the exarch through his magister militum called Eustatius and made it clear that Isaac was to prevent the Pope from being consecrated and use essentially whatever means necessary to pressure the Pope to comply with the ecthesis. So Isaac is going, okay, I have to prevent the Pope from being consecrated and I can use whatever means at my disposal. So he comes up with an idea that would accomplish the emperor's goal, but also make himself quite rich in the process. So he summons an administrative official called Maurice, who held the title of Chartularios, which is basically a fancy title for fiscal administration. And together, 
they convince a group of soldiers that the Pope had been withholding pay that was due to them from the Emperor and was hoarding the wealth in the Lateran Palace. The Liber Pontificalis gives us an account of Maurice's address to the soldiers in that full, dramatic, and dialogue flair that you love so much. He allegedly said to the soldiers, What is the use of so much treasure hoarded up in the Lateran Palace by Pope Honorius when you get nothing of it, if not even the donatives which have been sent to you by the emperor? The holy man through whom they were to have reached you piled them up instead of distributing them to you. Why is he being a butthole? Because he's the exarch of Ravenna, and they've generally been buttholes. Are they just buttholes? Or are they cloacas? What happens when you convince a bunch of soldiers who indeed, for the record, have not been paid in a while, and you convince them that the reason they haven't been paid was that the Pope was holding on to it to make themselves richer? You get a motivated mob who rock up to the Lateran, fully intending to break in and take everything inside. And somehow, and it's not really specified how in the scant sources that are available, Severinus and the clergy of the Lateran were able to keep the mobs out and the doors secure. But while they were fighting to protect themselves from the inside, Maurice went to the civil administration and, likely with threats of force from Isaac, he was able to convince three judges to accompany him to the Lateran and demand entry. And because he shows up with three judges, they are admitted to the Lateran. And I quote again from the Liber Pontificalis. They sealed up the treasures which Christian emperors, patricians, and consuls for their soul's redemption had left to blessed Peter the Apostle to be given in alms at certain seasons for the redemption of captives. They get in there and they're just like, I'm going to take all of this. Then the exarch Isaac arrives and forcibly exiles any significant member of the Roman clergy who was not the Pope that he could get his hands on. And then the Lateran Palace was looted for eight days, with shares being taken by Maurice, Isaac, the looters, and some was packed off to be shipped to the emperor just for good measure. So, they have just completely looted all of the church's wealth. Now, it's unclear exactly what was happening with Severinus while the looting and the exiling was being carried out, but we can assume that he was imprisoned somewhere else in the Lateran. But there is one source in Wendy J. Reardon's book, The Deaths of the Popes, where she suggests that he might have been beaten by the soldiers who came demanding their pay. But either way, they figured that stripping the Lateran of its worldly goods and emptying the treasury of the church and exiling all the prominent clergy members would be enough for Severinus to give up and relent and sign the ecthesis. And all the while, Severinus says no. He's holding firm to his resistance. For a whole year and a half. So they have come in, they have stolen all of his wealth, they have exiled his men, he may have been physically beaten, and they're going, sign the ecthesis, and he's going, nope, not happening. And so I just want to add that after its account of the looting of the Lateran, the Liber Pontificalis also accounts that shortly after this, 
Maurice, the one who was in charge of all of these plans, would attempt to lead a rebellion against Isaac the Exarch and ends up pretty much immediately dead in the process. And that's why we probably don't see more violence after the looting of the Lateran, because the guy who was in charge just went, hey, I'm going to go for your job and ends up dead. And so there's no one to kind of spur these soldiers back into action. While this is all going on, the apocrisaries in Constantinople are still working very hard trying to persuade the emperor to compromise and accept Severinus as pope. Remember, he is still not confirmed as pope, according to the emperor. Yeah. And at first, they're met with hostility and obstinance from the emperor, who ordered them repeatedly to leave or to go back and persuade the pope to sign the ecthesis, because that was more likely to him than him changing his mind. But it turns out that wasn't entirely true, because Heraclius is starting to get ill. And the legates are relentless, and they're making it very clear to the emperor that they could not and would not leave Constantinople without a confirmation for Severinus as pope. And they remind him that the West is definitely not just going to stand by for an indefinite sede vacante of the papal throne, and if he doesn't confirm Severinus, they are eventually going to go on and consecrate Severinus in spite of Isaac's military force. So they try all manner of arguments with him, which we get from a letter of St. Maximus in Horace Mann's book on page 349. Horry Mann book. This episode has all the entendres that you could ever want. <laughs> We're going to use Horace Mann's work a lot in the upcoming episode. <laughs> in the Horry Mann book. This is not boding well for him. We're so sorry. So the arguments that the apocrisaries are making is that they would only ever ask the Pope to assent to something he felt was dogmatically correct, and that they would only attempt to advise the Pope on the merits of the ecthesis if the Emperor would confirm the Pope, but if he would, they'd give it their level best. Basically, they're telling him the Emperor has to make the first step to make anything happen, or they're going to do nothing. You want us to go tell the Pope to sign the ecthesis? Well, you have to confirm him first, and then we'll try. And and it goes on and on and on. They are literally more relentless than Pope Gregory was when he was an apocrisary. And eventually, it seems that Heraclius was just tired of listening to them. He was worn down. He was sick. And so finally, he decides, just shut up, and I will give the confirmation to the Pope. I can't handle you anymore. You have made me relent. Just go away. So he sent the apocrisaries away to convey the message to Rome, probably thrilled to see the backs of them, and Severinus was finally consecrated as Pope on May 28th of 640. And do you want to guess what the first thing he did when he was officially Pope? Die. Not quite. Well, it definitely wasn't to sign the ecthesis. He pretty much immediately convenes a synod and officially and publicly condemns the ecthesis, condemns monothelitism, and all monophysite offshoots, and decrees that Christ had two natures and two wills, full stop. This is how our bro got all screwed up. Yeah, it is. But he's, he's on the other side of this argument now. Honorius kind of agreed that maybe Christ had one will, 
And Severinus is going, nope, it's definitely two wills. And the fact that you've written this, this edict out there and you want everybody to sign it is not going to fly with me. Could you imagine having two wills? If he doesn't have a human will, then his his sacrifice of himself for the redemption of the sins of all humanity doesn't count because then he would have never been tempted as a human. And of course he has the divine will because he is the divine. It has to be all of it. In the same way that he has to have the two natures, he's got to have the two wills and the two energies and the two operations because they will try this again with different words. So Severinus is finally Pope. And he decides that now that everything's official and he's consecrated, he decides that the apse of St. Peter's could use some rebuilding. And it should be decorated with some grand new mosaics, which are becoming more and more in fashion in churches. All of our stuff was just stolen. Let's try and make this a little bit prettier. And he also held an ordination for nine new bishops. Good, we haven't seen that in a while. Unfortunately for Severinus, he was an old and feeble man and had been through a lot of chaos. So two months after he was finally and officially recognized as Pope, he died on August 2nd of 640. Buried in the apse of St. Peter's, the one he had just restored, and his tomb was destroyed in the building of new St. Peter's with no epitaphs left behind. But Wendy J. Rudin's book adds several bits of flair to Severinus's death, including a notation that he also left the clergy a year's worth of salary when he died, and that his death was the direct cause of having been beaten by the imperial soldiers when they stormed the palace, as we mentioned before. Now, none of the other sources that I read say that he was as close to death as that when they allegedly beat him, and then he he is denying and resisting the ecthesis for a year and a half, so that would be quite a long time to have lingering beating injuries. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but there might be a conflation of dates happening here, so. He could have just died of old age. He could have just died of stress. He could have died from being beaten. We are not sure. And that is Severinus. Well, that's it? Yep, that's it. He's dead. Time to rate him. He doesn't get a surprise round after death the same way that Honorius did. Papatum infallium. He resists the ecthesis to the point where it is detrimental to him. It's good for orthodoxy. It's bad for the relationship with the Eastern Church in Constantinople. As soon as he is official, he officially condemns monothelitism and the ecthesis. So he's, even though he only has two months to be pope, he gets right on it. He doesn't have a lot of time to actually be pope, but I want to consider that in the time that he wasn't, from his election, where he was Episcopus Electus, he set a very strong example and resisted the most invasive and aggressive assault that we've seen on the Lateran since, like, Pope Vigilius. So there's something admirable there, and it might be worth a couple points. Um, I'm going to give him maybe a four. A four? Okay. I'm going to give him a two because he resisted it. And then he condemned it, but having a little bit of foresight of how things are going to play out, it's not enough. And so he'll get a six in that category. Just because you've gone ahead 
doesn't mean. You know, it's it's true. It's true. I know, but it's it has more to do with the fact that he spent most of his time just hmm, now nah, you've got me reconsidering because we've scored Pope's higher for resisting. I'll give him a four. We can't futurize. We cannot futurize. We can look at their legacy, and he is, in that sense, he is setting the right legacy. So, yeah, I'll give him a four, and he'll get an eight. You got him two more points. Ha ha! <laughs> Fructus prohibitum. Now, if he actually did withhold pay from the soldiers, like money that was sent by the emperor to be distributed to soldiers, that would be something. But he didn't do that. So it's a zero. Someone else was trying to stir up the drama llama pot. Yeah, and because they had not been paid in a while, remember, Italy is not doing well. There is not a whole lot of money. There's a lot of conflict going on. And the pay for the soldiers is supposed to come from the empire. And he's fighting Persia and all that junk. So they haven't been paid in a while. But he's just saying, hey, look, it's actually the Pope's fault. He has all your money. But he doesn't. Seculari impactum. This is a category he's not going to score well in because he did not have good relations with secular authorities. He did stand down those threats and he did stand down the force of the emperor and the exarch and his apocrisaries wear down those secular authorities. So we might get like a two. Mm, a two? I was leaning more like one. Okay, you can give him a one. And he'll get a three in that category. Fossium Sanctus. All right. I'm going to send you this photo, and I just want you to think of it as he's just been told that the emperor refused his election. <laughs> That's very much of your f kidding face. <laughs> It is an old man version of that meme that's everywhere where the guy is just blinking because he's like... Oh, yeah, the, the blinking man. He's got the blinking man face. He's like, what? What do you mean he's refused my election? So I also have a smaller version of that with less detail. It's not as exciting. I really like this picture. <laughs> I know. He's not attractive at all, but I really just like... The expression is everything. The expression is... Spot on perfect. Wow. It really is. I really like it. So he's going to score well in this category. What are you going to give him? I'm giving him like a nine. Ooh, you really like it. He's also really like soft and smooth for a man who was very old at the time of his election. But yeah, it's the expression that makes it. I'm going to give him a seven. So he's going to get a 16, which will give him a solid four in this category. Now I have to point out. This is kind of something that clearly has existed for so much longer. But while I was researching Pope Severinus and looking for images of him, I found a website. And this website is called everypope.wordpress.com. And it is a dude who is drawing every single pope, every pope, every week. Okay, get this. This is what it says as the the tagline. Weekly illustration of every pope from Peter to Francis. <laughs> hey, buddy. I know, right? Did so, he stop or is he still going? He is currently, when is the last one? Uh, I think he must have stopped because he is, his last 
post was April 13th, 2018. He got up to Pope Victor Third. Okay. He got to, like, 158 popes. That's pretty amazing. That is really good. I'm going to put a link for him in the show notes because his images are quite cool. They're They're very stylized, but they are a lot of fun. I want to try and find you the one he did for Severinus. Could you imagine if we got to Victor III and just stopped? Oh, I know. It would just drive me absolutely crazy, right? Here's the image he did of Pope Severinus. It doesn't look like the images that we have. I don't know if he looks at anything for, like, in terms of his reference material. I'd love to get in touch with him because we're talking about his thing. But again... It looks like he stopped in 2018, but if you go to just, like, this, the front page of it, everypope.wordpress.com, you'll see some very stylistic-looking popes, and it's just kind of neat. And I just found it, and I was like, how did I not find this sooner? But hey, kind of a cool little thing that someone was doing. Oh, man, their name is Chris with a K, so it could be a lady. Could be a late. Where do you even see that? I don't have like a drop down menu. Author Chris Kotner. It has their name directly on top of the link you sent, or like right before, if you look at the link preview. Oh. I, I'm going to have to do some more looking on this website, but I just thought it was neat. Someone else is doing Pope stuff. Mm hmm. Yay. Tempest Pontificus. May 28th, 640 to August 2nd of 640, which is two months because that's all he's technically officially pope for giving him a score of 0. 0.0125 he spent more time waiting to be confirmed than he did actually being pope so might be a lady is it a lady it might be a lady did you find an about page or something i found their pinterest uh, could be the lady and oh and they like they like benedict <laughs> uh, Damn, this person's on Pinterest a lot. They have a section called Pope Mobile. Following this. Oh, look at all those old Pope Mobiles. And then someone's presenting Francis with a bike. Doesn't look like they have a Facebook, but they definitely have a Pinterest. Oh, you can message people through Pinterest. I'm on Shitpost Sampler's Pinterest. I'm not going to message them through Shitpost Sampler. No, I'll message them. I'll message them after this. It could be either of those people. Yeah, but the incredible activity on Pinterest says woman to me. Could you imagine <laughs> getting a Tinder profile like this? Not that either of us are on Tinder, <laughs> but like their name is Chris Cotner, Chris with a K, and it's just a couple. It's a picture with both these people. Every picture has both of these people in it. And you're like, which one am I dating? Which one is it? I can say this is not something that crosses my mind very often. And I and I know couples do get on Tinder and are like, we're a couple and we want to date somebody, etc., etc., kinky something something. I don't know. It's just a thing that couples do. Weird. I've only heard about this secondhand. I do not have any firsthand experience of this. Well, we were like trying to figure out how we were going to see someone's Tinder profile. We were like, can you look at someone's profile without Tinder? None of us know. I asked Jordan and he's like, why are you asking me? <laughs> we don't think you have a secret Tinder profile, Jordan. I just said, 
You live on the internet. I mean, I live on the internet, and I don't know how to use Tinder. Uh, we could ask Jay. <laughs> oh gosh, I guess we should finish this. <laughs> Everything is off the rails today, it's fine. Alright everybody, it's the canon bonus round! Do, 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 do. Nope, not a saint. We're back in that era. Okay. And that brings us to his total score, which is a 15.0125, which is not a shocking upset like it was last week. He is in 51st place at current, so that's fair. And I've got to ask you if you think he's papally enough. Don't even finish the sentence. I mean, I feel for him. He did a good, he did a good resistance, but that's pretty much all. So, yeah. With that, we can say thank you to Totalis Rankium and Rex Factor, and for all of you who are listening, because again, we're still recording day in a row, day in a row, day in a row, so nothing's happened in the last couple days. That's because you've been snowed in. Yesterday I was like, no, I am going to the gym, and we are not recording. Going to the gym is important. You should go to the gym even on days where we record, Fry. That is not an excuse. No, yesterday was a day for faffing around, but the cabin fever is real, so, you know, if somebody wants to do something on Twitter that they want, or, like, social media, and they, we will thank you. That's a thing, so. I mean, by the time this comes out, you're not gonna be, I assume you won't be snowed in anymore. Oh my god, I hope not, because this is the last episode coming out in February. (laughs) If I'm snowed in, still... I will die. I will die before then. And it was nice knowing all of you. So on that note, we will say thank you and goodbye. Goodbye.